But um, I was going to go a different direction tonight, but I woke up yesterday morning, and this whole thing is what I had in my heart. So here we go. Father, I ask you to use my words to break them apart as bread and deliver them to each person what they need. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I have been looping this song called Here Again. And, there's, and I think we're going to sing it at the end, right? And there's a line in it that says, here in the middle. And that just keeps standing out to me because it says we can't go back to the beginning. We're not at the end, but here in the middle. And now remember what it says after that, something about you'll never leave us. <laughs> something, it rhymes and it's real pretty. I didn't do it justice, but that here in the middle. And I really wanted to talk about that tonight. And I titled this message, Here in the Middle. And we this year have been talking a lot about faith. A lot about the spirit of faith, a lot about faith that moves us and faith that moves our mountains and victory. And God wants us to experience every victory. But I want to talk about the middle tonight. And the definition of the word middle is the point or position at an equal distance from the sides, edges or ends. And I'm just going to put that in my words. You're not at the beginning and you're not at the end. And so I had some examples of middle pop up in my mind. I am a middle child. Can I see the, can I see the hands of the middles? We are a unique group of people. Because <laughs> not only was I a middle, because there were four of us, I was the only one in the family without a distinction. My sister was the oldest, and then I was next, and then my brother was the only boy, and then my youngest sister was the baby. So I had no distinction. So I was stuck in the middle. I turned out okay, though. You don't have to feel sorry for me. I was actually the favorite child, so it worked out in my face. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and then I had a picture of monkey in the middle. Anyone ever play that game? Where one person stands over here, one person stands over there, and they throw a ball back and forth over the head of the person in the, who tried to catch it. And I just had the picture of winter and spring playing monkey in the middle with us this year. Winter's like catching the ball and spring is catching it. Where it's probably going to snow in a couple days, even though it was 83 degrees today. And winter and spring are playing monkey in the middle with us. And we just can't seem to catch that ball. But, um, and then I had a picture of Alex in the middle of a race. And so Alex runs cross country and he runs track. And so there's different races in track. Like he's run them all over the course of his, his experience. He ran the 100, which the, the middle part of a 100-meter dash is not that big. He's run the 400, which is one whole lap around the track. He's run the 800. He's run a, a 5K. And that's, I think on, on purpose one day after school, he just said, I'm going to run a half marathon. So he ran 13.2 or 13.1 miles after school one day. So, but for each one of those races, because the middle is in a different place, it takes a different strategy. And so Alex in the middle of the race, uh, you, you, there's super much excitement at the start. Has anyone ever watched a track race or a cross country race? Cross country is the most interesting thing to watch because you have to run to point to point to point. You can't see the whole race. <clears throat> but you go to the beginning and like in the big meets like regional there'd be 400 runners lined up and they're ready 
and they're waiting for that gun and there's so much anticipation and excitement and that gun goes off and you can feel the ground shake because 400 runners just take off in excitement. But then you go to the next watch point, which might be, you know, 400 meters down and they're still pretty in their the beginning pace and, and that first mile pace and there's some excitement. But if you go over to that two mile point where they're at the end of two miles, you can't see the finish line yet, but you're nowhere near the start. The, the look on the face looks a little different in the middle until they start to see that finish line. And so I, I want to talk to us tonight about the middle because I would, I would venture to say that there were, we're all in the middle of our faith life, which is we've all accepted Christ and we started a journey of faith. The just shall live by. So if you're born again, you're in a faith life. But along the way in our faith life, we find that we have faith projects. So we have the overarching faith life, which is we accept the Lord. And then one day, hopefully way in the future, after long life will he satisfy us, we're going to stand before him and answer for everything we did in the body. Right? Let's all repent right now of everything we can think of. No. <laughs> but on that journey, we're going to have faith projects. And so I was praying over this and I was thinking about this. Um, a lot of us, we're all on that faith life, and many of us are in the middle of a faith project. Barb Haskins, you're in the middle of a faith project. Faith was author, authored for healing. You're here. You shouldn't even be here. You should be in heaven. But God did a miracle in your body and kept you here because of answered prayer. But you don't have the full manifestation of the healing yet. So guess where that puts you? In the middle. Anybody else? In the middle. Raise your hand if you're in the middle. Say, I'm in the middle. And so can I tell you that the frustrating thing about our faith projects is that we know it has a starting line, but we don't know where the finish line is. And so it can get a little frustrating, but let me encourage you that there's, don't give up hope because you don't know that you're not in the day before. Every miracle has a day before. Abraham had a day before, a day before those angels showed up and said, in a year, Sarah's going to give birth to a baby. Joseph had a day before in prison where he was stuck in prison and forgotten in prison and didn't know what was ever going to happen with his life. And one day he was in prison and the next day he was in the, because he had a day before. And so your miracle has a day before if you won't let go when you're stuck in the middle. So we're going to talk about the middle tonight. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares, ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's authored faith projects in us. That's when the word comes. And we see in the word that he's promised us something and that faith is authored. That's the beginning. 
But guess what? He's not just the author. He's the author and the... So we're going to look at tonight, what do we do in the middle? And we're going to look at the life of Abraham. So we're going to hop and skip and jump through Genesis 12 through 22. And I promise we're not going to be here till midnight. I promise it really is a hop, a skip, and a jump. But we're going to go to Genesis 12, 1. And it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4 says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to, you, to, you, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. And so what we see here is Abram's faith is authored. He began his faith life and his faith project right here. Faith is authored. And we see the excitement of everything. There had to be really something so compelling in the word of God and in the voice that came to him in that word to author that faith enough to go. Because he, he initially just heard the word of the Lord. He just heard a word. And on that word, he left. He had no idea where he was going. He had no idea where God was sending him. All, is he, all he knows is, I heard a voice. He's God. I'm going. Faith was authored. And with it came uh, excitement. It's a new adventure. There's obedience. There was worship. We saw that he went. We saw that he built altars. When he got there, he was so excited. He just worshiped God. There's all that excitement at the beginning, right? So there we see his beginning. And we're not going to read down through all these chapters. I wanted to read the beginning. But if you read Genesis 12, 10 through 20, this is where there's a famine in the land. So he goes to Egypt and he lies to the king because he's afraid that they'll kill him to get his wife. So the same great man of great faith and power who left everything that was comfortable to him that he knew and loved on the on. The word of God alone was afraid that the king would kill him, so he lied about his wife. Everyone say, where was Abram's faith? You know, 
For someone who didn't stagger at the promises of God and was a man full of faith, like God called him in Romans chapter 4, it seems like he staggered at something here. So everyone say, we're all growing. We're all growing. So just take a deep breath. And if you ever felt like you messed up because you doubted or you messed up because you didn't have like that stalwart faith the whole time and now God can't give me nothing, yes, he can. (laughs) Yes, he totally can. And so when you move over to Genesis 13, if you read down through 1 through 13, this is where Abraham and Lot separate because they're both so rich and so full of cattle and herds that the land couldn't hold them both. And so they had to separate a little farther out. And so um, that's what that is. And then Genesis 13, verses 14 through 18, I want to read that because after they separate and Abram picked his land, it says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land you see, I will give you and your descendants, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So another new adventure, he, there was another word from the Lord. He moved on, but guess what? He's still in the middle. But this is still kind of towards the beginning. And so he worships again. He's, he's still connected there. He's still in faith. And then if you read Genesis 14, that's where uh, Lot gets kidnapped, and they call on him to go rescue his nephew, and he has to go into battle, and he wins. And the the king came to him and said, I want to give you all this money for coming to the aid and and rescuing Lot back. And he goes, no, no, because I don't want man to say that, that I don't want you to be able to say that you made me rich. God's going to bless me. And so um, that's chapter 14. And then we get to chapter 15. Everyone say in the middle. Because I want to see if you can hear Abram's faith here. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. And so we don't have anything in here that happened before God coming to Abram. But I find the words of God interesting and very telling because he said, Do not fear. And so there had to have been some kind of fear in Abram for God to come tell him, do not fear. And so God's coming to him. He, he knows that it's been some time now since he left his land. And it's been some time now since the promise came. And he said, don't fear. I am your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me? Seeing I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is going to have to be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be 
your heir. So Abram said, oh, God, I have no fear. I trust you. I know I don't see an heir now, but you said it, and I know you're going to do it. Is that what Abram said to God? No. He said, uh, listen, God, you promised me an heir, and I don't have an heir. What's going on here? Does that sound like faith? Or does that sound like frustration? Has anyone else ever been frustrated in the middle? Take courage and take heart here, because so was Abraham. Frustrated. He yelled at God. You haven't given me an heir. Right? Are, am I the only one that sees are we? Are you with me in this? And then God took him outside and chastised him for doubting. Is that what it says? The Lord took him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Again, different story here than you see in Romans 4 where it says, he staggered not at the promises of God. God, how will I know? And God didn't rebuke him for that. God cut a covenant with him. He said, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old goat, which to us means nothing, but to him meant everything. Because that is where God cut the covenant with him. And to them, covenant was binding. And to Abram, this was security and assurance that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. God didn't cut covenant for him. God knew he was going to keep his word because he's bound to his word. He cut covenant to bring assurance to Abram that I'm going to do for you what I said I was going to do, and you can be sure because I'm doing this for you now. But I love the part in this where he says, I am your reward. And I just want to point this out real quick. He said, I am your reward. He took him back to the word and he reconfirmed the promise. And whenever you're in doubt, please go back to the word and reconfirm the promise. But he goes, eyes up here. I'm your reward. Not your child. Not your spouse. Not your calling. Not your dream. Not any answer to prayer should ever be in this place. And if something is making you frustrated, then it's in this place. If it's making you frustrated that you don't have it yet, then you've seated that thing a little bit higher than God. Because our source of joy and contentment never comes from his hand. It comes from his face. Right? And so we just want to keep things in the proper place. And that's what he was telling Abram. You're frustrated that you don't have the air I promised you yet. But come on, let's put our, set our emotions in the right place. It's me. It's always been me. I need to be first. Even when that baby comes, you need to keep me in my right place. So we're going to keep God first. Amen. And then Genesis chapter 16 is where uh, Abram and Sarah made a hot mess of it and created Ishmael. Why? Because they could not see God doing it. 
Chapter 16 is 10 years after the initial promise came. Everyone say 10 years. Everyone say the middle. So what happened when Abram was in the middle? He tried to figure it out himself and made a hot mess of it because he got impatient waiting on God. Can anyone relate? Anyone ever got impatient with God in the middle? You are in good company. Does that look, does that chapter look like a man of faith and power? Everyone say we're all growing. Okay, and then Genesis 17 I love is because where God changes their name. He changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. So instead of being honored father, he called him the father of multitudes. That's what his name meant. And Sarah's name changed, meant the, close to the mother of, of many. And so he changes their names here. And guess what? It took faith for them to agree with God that their name was new. It took faith for the Abraham to start calling himself Abraham. And it, because why? Because everything in the natural was screaming the opposite of what God had said. Everything in the natural was screaming, you're not even the father of one. You don't have the promise heir. Everything in the natural was saying, your name is a farce. But Abraham started calling himself that anyway. And then everybody else had to start calling him that. I can guarantee you, anytime he came up, someone came up to him and said, hey, Abram, he'd go, no, no, I am Abraham. So we're not going to rely on our emotions, whether we feel it or not, whether we see it or not. What we need to be speaking about ourselves is what God said about us. Whether you see it or not, speak it anyway. Genesis 18 is when the, the visitors came and said, next year, this time, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And she laughed. And God said, nope, it's going to come to pass. And then at the end of the chapter was when God said, shall I hide from Abraham that which I'm about to do? And Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. Chapter 19 was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But I really want to point out here that Sodom and Gomorrah did not get uh, destroyed until Lot and his family were removed. God answered Abraham's prayer. But guess what? They were preserving that place. And God could not do any destruction there until his people were removed. We are called to be salt. Salt is not just something that gave food flavor back in the day. Salt was a preserving agent. And I want to ask you, are you preserving this nation with your prayers? Are you agreeing with the accuser of the brethren about how horrible it is? Our prayers preserve. Our life is to preserve. We are salt. And that's a preserving agent. Amen. So that was chapter 19. Um, chapter 20 is where he, oh gosh, he lies again. All these years down the road in relationship with God and he lies to that king again. Another king, but he lies to him to protect himself. You can have strong faith in one area and weak faith in another. Right? Everyone say we're all growing. But God had to, God had to shut the womb of everybody in that kingdom to protect Sarah. Why? He had to protect the paternity of the promise. There could be no question about who the father of that child was because it was covenant. 
And so that was chapter 20. And then chapter 21, um, I love the first verse of chapter 21 because guess what? It's, it's the finish line. And the Lord did, kept his word and did what he said for Sarah, just as he had spoken. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken. And Abraham called the name of the child Isaac. And so the Lord kept his word. They crossed the finish line in that faith project that took 25 years came to completion. But guess what? Then there was another faith project. Because then you move on to chapter 22 and God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go sacrifice him. And the, even before he said that, the, the Bible says that God tested Abraham. So he finds himself in another middle here. Faith was authored. And it was faith. He passed this test of covenant by faith, or else this wouldn't be mentioned in the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. So faith was authored to sacrifice his son. Right? Are you with me? And he passed that test. That was a quick faith project because he passed it within three days. But I find it interesting God had to be really specific with him because I think if he didn't say, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, he'd have taken Ishmael. Anybody else? Would you have taken Ishmael? Like, yeah, I'll sacrifice Ishmael. He's not the one God promised me. He was my mistake. I'll sacrifice my mistake any day of the week. But um, so we're going to stop here. We could keep going on in the life of Abraham, but we're going to talk tonight about his faith projects and what he did in the middle and what we're supposed to do in the middle. And there's three different types of faith projects that he had. And, and I, as you go back through, and I encourage you to go back through and read these chapters and take notes on this and study this, it will encourage you. Because he had three kinds of, of faith projects. He had faith projects that were self-inflicted. Anyone ever have any of those? He had faith projects that were, pardon? He did it to himself. Ishmael, lying to the kings, having to get out of those jams. He self-inflicted the need to have a faith project. Does that make sense? Has anyone ever gotten themselves into debt? Self-inflicted faith project. Has anyone ever done something stupid and fallen and broken a bone or hurt yourselves because you did something you knew you shouldn't have been doing? Anybody? Self-inflicted faith project. <laughs> Has anybody ever had one of those? Okay. So that's what I mean by self-inflicted. And then he had faith projects that were attacked. It was just straight-on attack. When Lot got kidnapped and he had to go rescue them, that was an attack of the enemy. But God saw him through, right? And then he had faith projects that were assigned to him by the Lord. I'm going to give you a baby. You need to change your name. I need you to sacrifice that baby. Those were faith projects that were assigned to him by the Lord. 
So three different, do you see those? Three different kinds of faith projects. But I want to show you something that all three of these have in common. And you can find it in Psalm 34, 19. But the Lord delivered him out of them all. Every, let's listen to that again. But the Lord delivered him out of them all. So even if you're going through a faith project that is self-inflicted, guess what? There's mercy and grace for that. If you're under an attack of the enemy on your life, guess what? He will deliver you. If it's a, an assigned faith project to you for your dream or for your destiny or for the call of God on your life, guess what? There's grace for that too. And the Lord delivered him out of them all. So what do we do in the middle? I'm going to give you four things. Number one, stay rooted in the word. When you're in the middle, when you're at the beginning and that faith is authored, it's exciting. It's easy to hold on then. It's when you're in the middle and you, you're nowhere near the, the starting line, but you cannot see that finish line and you're just floundering in the middle that we need to stay rooted in the word. And as you go back through and read Genesis 12 through 22 and beyond, you'll find that every time he was frustrated, God came to him with the promise again. A Abraham didn't have what we have. He didn't have black and white ink on paper to put his eyes on. He just had a word. <laughs> he just had a word from the Lord or an appearance from the Lord or a vision from the Lord. And if you read through here, the number of times that it says the Lord appeared to him, you can count on two hands. He could not open the Bible and read it every day. However, the word of God sustained him in the middle because God came back to him with the word. And I see this meme on Facebook all the time where it says, uh, if God is being quiet, then, then be encouraged because the teacher is always quiet during the test. Well, fooey on that because our teacher is only quiet when this book is closed. Because we have black and white ink on paper. We have in our hands words that, do you understand? I was reading the Psalms the other day. I was reading that Psalm. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. And I thought, those words are how many thousands of years old. But God saw to it that they were preserved for us to hold in our hands and to take encouragement from. And so if God's being quiet in your life right now, open the book. Because this teacher is only quiet when the book is closed. And so the word authors our faith. The word will sustain our faith. Luke 137 says, not one word of God can fail. And I want to do a little test. I'm going to use this chair. And I need a volunteer. Can I have a volunteer? Nina, come forward. <clears throat> I might need a couple more volunteers. All right, are you ready? This is all you have to do. Sit in the chair. How is that chair? Comfortable? 
Okay, that's all. Yeah, Marcy, come on. You can get up. All right, Marcy, all I want you to do is sit in the chair. <clears throat> okay. Do you feel scared, nervous, anything? Okay. All right, you can go back to your chair. Anybody else want to have a seat in the chair? I'm sitting in this chair. Okay, what we didn't see any of these people do was go, let's check and see how sturdy is it sturdy? I don't know. Can I trust? Can I trust it? I'm gonna, can I, can I, can I, is it going to fall? Am I okay? And yet we take the word of God and be like, did he mean it? Did he not mean it? Uh, it's, I don't know. I can't, can I trust it? Can I, we had no problem just plopping ourselves in our chairs tonight with full-on faith and assurance that it wasn't going to fail us. But we can't trust in the eternal words of an eternal God who promised to always be faithful to his word, whose word says that not one word of God can ever fail, that says, oh, I love it in the Amplified, for with God nothing is ever impossible, and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. The word of God will sustain us in the middle. We can throw ourselves into it with wholehearted abandonment that he will catch us. Amen. Amen. We trust the word. His word will sustain and strengthen us. It's the enemy's job not to kill us, but to steal our faith. Why? He wants us back in his kingdom. And if he can get us frustrated in the middle so that we give up, he wins. Whether he kills our body or kills our marriage or kills our finances, that's not what he wants. He wants us back in his kingdom. He wants us to say, I knew I couldn't trust God. I knew he would let me down. His word doesn't work and I'm done. That's what he wants. That's his end game. And so in the middle is where we need to trust and hold on to God. And we've been saying, you know, we want to experience every victory. And, and God wins victory after victory. And we want you to experience every victory. But what does victory look like? Is it just mean the answer to the prayer? Does it just mean crossing the finish line? Sometimes victory is falling into bed at night still believing that God is good no matter what I face today. That is a victory, right? Sometimes victory means even though my spouse left me, even though I prayed my guts out and they still left me, God, I still believe in you. That is victory in the middle. And sometimes in the middle, victory is just getting up in the morning, choosing to say, I still believe your word is true. And Barb, victory in the middle for you is when you wake up every day and say, I don't see it and I might not feel it yet, but I will experience full manifestation of my healing because his word is true. Amen. Amen. His word will sustain us. So we're going to stay rooted in the word. We're going to stay rooted in 
in his presence. In chapter 13, 1 through 4, when he was wandering around, it says he went back to where he was in the beginning and worshiped again at that altar. His presence will sustain us. Psalm 16, 8 says, Because you are close to me and always available, my confidence will never be shaken, for I experience your wraparound presence every moment. So we're going to stay rooted in his word in the middle. We're going to stay rooted in his presence in the middle. We're almost done. Hang tight. We're going to stay rooted in our identity in the middle. God changed Abraham's name, and so did Abraham. God changed Sarai's name, and Sarah agreed with him. Too many Christians have identity amnesia. And we need spiritual identity theft protection, right? Because we let the enemy convince us of too many things. You know, you could come to me and tell me you're a five-foot-one, red-haired, brown-eyed woman. You can say that to me a million times. You are a five-foot-one, red-haired, brown-eyed woman. You're a five-foot-one, red-haired, brown-eyed woman. Am I going to believe you? No. Why? Because what's the truth? I'm a five-foot-eight, multicolored, green-eyed <laughs> woman. You could never convince me I'm five-foot-one because I know the truth about me. And yet when the enemy comes to us and tells us, you're stupid, we go, yes, I am. Oh, that sounds true. Or, oh, that's what somebody else said about me, so it must be true. Identity amnesia. No, and it goes back to being rooted in the word. So did Abraham feel like the father of multitudes? No. Do we go by what we feel or do we go by what the word of God says? When the enemy comes and says, you're not a conqueror, you're not an overcomer, you're not walking in victory, do you see the answer to your prayer yet? Are you holding a baby yet? Can you use that hand yet? Or am I whatever I'm believing for? Are, are, can you see that yet? And when he tries to tell us we're not victors, we go, oh, okay. You must be right. No. Like Abraham, we're not going to go by what we feel. We're going to go by what this says about us, whether we feel like it or not. We're going to speak God's truth. So we're going to stay rooted in the word, rooted in his presence, rooted in our identity, and we're going to stay rooted in joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. We're going to close with this so you can come start playing. Um, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, how do you have joy in the middle? Anybody ever have a difficult time having joy in the middle? Can I tell you, you can borrow it from tomorrow. You, it's okay, and, and let me show you how it's okay. Has anyone ever done a countdown for your vacation? And when you thought about that vacation, did it make you happy today? That is borrowing joy from tomorrow. See how easy that is? And so Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, For the joy set before him, 
He endured the cross, despising the shame. Guess what that joy was? That joy was us. And so what this is telling us is that to, to sustain him through what he had to endure on the cross, he borrowed joy from tomorrow and brought it into today. So when he, and the joy that he borrowed from tomorrow, the joy that he borrowed from the future sustained him in the middle. Because the cross was the middle for him. And he needed joy to sustain him in the middle. Why? He was a flesh and blood man. He showed us how we can do it. And if he could borrow joy from tomorrow, then we can borrow joy from tomorrow. And we can picture our finish line. And we can see ourselves holding the promise. In the middle. It's called anticipation. It's called hope. And hope anchors the soul. Amen. We can make it through the middle. If Abraham did it, if Joseph did it, if Paul did it, if Peter did it, we can do it. I just want to encourage you tonight, and I pray this encouraged you and stirred you up. If you're in the middle of a faith project, if you're in the middle of a faith fight, to not let go. Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing this song. Some of you may or may not have heard it. It's, it's new to us, but not a new song. It's an elevation worship song, but it's called um, something. I don't even remember what it's called. Lord, not for a minute have we ever been forsaken in the middle. Father, I thank you for each person in this place that they leave strengthened and encouraged and refreshed and refired to stand in the middle and run to the end. You are a faithful God. And if we will not let go of the confession of our faith, but if we will hold it fast, you are faithful and we will have what was promised you will do for us just like you did for sarah in jesus name amen well god is good amen thank you for coming out on such a beautiful night and uh worshiping god with us we will see you on sunday morning amen <laughs>